Don't forget that only women can get pregnant. Don't forget that men can't menstruate. And don't forget that marriage is between a man and a woman. Do you have anything else to add to that, Jonathan? That's so basic common sense. I feel like that's a good place to leave it. Welcome to Coffee, Culture, and the Capital with Sophia and Greg. Hello, everyone. If you are listening in, you can't see, but if you're watching, you'll notice sitting next to me, it doesn't look like Greg. So today I have with me the president of California Family Council, Jonathan Keller. Welcome to the podcast for the first hey, time, Jonathan. It's great to be here. It's Coffee, Culture, and the Capital with yes. Sophia and Jonathan. All so right. Just well, for today, yes. Greg is coming back. I'm just in Sacramento this week, so happy to be on the show. So, coffee. Let's talk about it. I'm being super boring today. Um, I'm just literally drinking iced coffee. It is black. There is no sweetener. There is no milk. Occasionally, I'll go for something fruity and fun. I like all the holiday drinks like toffee nut lattes and pumpkin spice lattes, but I had too many of those this last <laughs> Christmas, so I'm on keto, so I'm trying to drink uh, black coffee today. Yes, and if any of you need to know about how we survive working with the craziness here at the Capitol, it is a lot of black coffee. Yes. But yes, I have my usual, my dirty chai with almond milk. That's now, why almond milk instead of oat milk? Because I almost I broke down and got a dirty chai today, and then I held strong. Okay. Me, so I actually like whole milk. I don't have an issue with it. Almond milk is actually better for you, like calorie-wise, I guess. So I get that. But a lot of people get oat milk, and they love oat milk. I've actually heard, if you're listening or watching, take a note on this. I've heard a lot of bad things about oat milk. Oh. I've heard it's not great for you. Just the whole oat milk thing is a fad. Okay. So almond milk or whole milk is definitely the way to go. Duly noted. Yes. So today we have some fun things to talk to you all about. We have ACA5, which is trying to redefine the definition of marriage in our California constitution. We have another bill, AB 1078, that's targeting local school boards and their control over curriculum and books. And then a bill that's going to try to redefine infertility and a lot of issues with surrogacy going on with this bill. Let's dive right into it. ACA 5. You want to talk about Greg and what he did this week for it? Yeah. So even though Greg is not on the show this week, we really want to give him huge kudos and props mm -hmm. because earlier this week there was that hearing for ACA5. And just to remind people, a little bit of backstory history. So California Family Council was founded 20 years ago. It's our 20th anniversary. And shortly after we were founded in 2007, there was a lot of movement on trying to legalize gay marriage in the state of California. This is despite the fact that we had passed something called Prop 22 all the way back in the year 2000, the same year Sophia was born. That was a state initiative. It was a statute that said marriage was between a man and a woman. But our state Supreme Court was trying to monkey around with that and say, actually, we're going to start legalizing gay marriage. Gavin Newsom famously, when he was the mayor of San Francisco, started issuing gay marriage licenses. So in 2007, California Family Council, led by my predecessor, a guy named Bron Prentice, led the campaign to not just have it as a state statute, like a law, but to actually put marriage between a man and a woman into the constitution of the state of California. And that is 
what became known as Proposition 8. There was a huge signature collecting effort. It was, I think, close to 2 million signatures that we gathered. And it ultimately went on the ballot. It ultimately won, even in California. In 2008, the same yes. year that Barack Obama was elected to the presidency, something that always blows my mind, Sophia, is that you had people that voted for Barack Obama for president, but then they flipped their ballots over and they said, and marriage is between a man and a woman. And that was a huge victory for marriage, mm -hmm. just in California, but nationwide. Fast forward a couple of years, 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Prop 8, complicated situation, and basically for the last 10 years it has been enjoined. It's not been part of the books. So you might think, that's it, it's over. Why would we even be talking about this? It's a dead letter. As a result of the huge victory last year in the Dobbs decision, overturned Roe versus Wade, all of a sudden now, legislators in California and around the country are getting nervous and saying, oh my gosh, if the Supreme Court can overturn something that is 50 years old mm -hmm. because it was bad law, might they overturn something that's only 10 years old <laughs> because it's bad law? So there's some thought that maybe there's a chance this could happen. Just personally, I don't think that's very likely to happen. I think it would be good. I think that Obergefell was a bad decision. I think the Hellerstadt, or not Hellerstadt, the Windsor decision was a bad decision. It, was, it would be a good thing if this, the way that gay marriage was legalized through the Supreme Court was reversed. That's my opinion. But what California is doing is they're saying, we're not gonna take any chances. We're not waiting for that to happen we're going to put on the ballot a new initiative mm -hmm. to repeal Proposition 8 and to replace that language with basically saying the right to marry is a fundamental right. And that's what's at issue in ACA 5. You have State Assemblymember Evan Lowe, who has essentially put this out there along with our friend Senator Scott Weiner, yes. Sophia's biggest fan. <laughs> and this unfortunately has been just sailing through both houses of the legislature in California. In the assembly, it passed on the floor with, I think it was 60, either 64 or 66 yes votes, which included eight Republicans yep. and not a single no vote. Now you might say, wait, aren't there more legislators? Yeah, there's 80 legislators, but there was a bunch of them that just abstained. They didn't vote one way or the other which is good. I wish they would have voted no. I wish they would have spoken up on it, but at least they didn't vote yes. But in the Senate, so far it's gone through two committees, and the last chance that you had to speak out against it was earlier this week, and it was really tough to get anybody to come to the Capitol. We had one of our good pastor friends who was supposed to be there with Greg. He waited and waited, and they delayed this hearing all day long. So finally, by the time we got to the end of the day, Greg was by himself. Yeah, and he, I think he testified maybe around 7, almost 8 p.m. Yeah. And that happens. Committees run late, things like that happen. But I've just noticed a lot lately on Twitter or different things, a lot of these legislators like to say that Governor DeSantis has been passing things and signing things in the middle of the night. Yeah. Which, first of all, not true. There's yeah. people there, everything's going on. But then it almost seems, hmm. Are you guys doing the same yes. thing by holding this one off till 7 p.m.? And it's also just interesting looking at how our California constitution or our California legislature does things comparatively. We have, it's not technically a year-round legislative session. You have groups like Ohio or states like Ohio. Mm -hmm. Our legislative session literally is year-round. It basically starts January 1st and it ends 
like December 31st. You could pass bills at any point. We are not quite that year round, but I think the hard thing, Sophia, for a lot of people is that, especially the week after 4th of July or the week of 4th of July, people are busy, they're doing stuff with their families, they're on vacation. It's really hard to get people to pay attention to all of this stuff. Most legislatures, they are maybe 30 days, 45 days, maybe three months, but they're all at the beginning of the year. When summer comes around, a lot of people are just checked out. They're like, I want to be done with this. I want to think about other things. And we did have some good friends that joined us on the phone in opposition. Yes. But literally, I just want to set the stage for this clip that we're going to show. When Greg got up here to testify in front of this Senate committee, he literally was the only person who was physically present to stand up for God's definition of marriage. And I'm just so proud of him. I know this is why I wanted to be on the show today, because I wanted to brag on Greg. It's hard to do that when he's on the show. But you're going to see in the clip, he really did a great, great job uh, speaking on this. And we're really proud of him. Yeah, so let's check it out. Chairman members, my name is Greg Burt. I work with the California Family Council. This is one of the main organizations that was a proponent of Proposition 8. At its core, AC... A5 is about changing the definitions of one of the most foundational institutions of human society. Some would argue we need to redefine marriage in a way that makes, that doesn't discriminate against anyone or leave anyone out. Yet this is not possible. Anytime you define a word like marriage, there are going to be relationships that align with the definition and those that don't. Even though ACA5's expanded definition includes same-sex couples, it still discriminates against polygamous, minors, and those interested in group marriage, just to name a few. We believe that the definition of marriage as spelled out in our state constitution should remain a covenant between one man and one woman because of the vital role marriage plays in civilization. Even though death, divorce, or other circumstances may prevent the ideal, every child longs and deserves every opportunity to be raised by their biological mother and father in a lifelong union. Since the dawn of civilization, governments have historically acknowledged that a union between a man and a woman creates the optimal family environment for upbringing of children. Despite recent court rulings, faithful Christians remain steadfast in their commitment to God's definition of marriage which has been a source of societal stability for thousands of years. We believe there is something uniquely beautiful, divinely inspired about the male-female relationship. Marriage is not a man-made in marriage is not a man-made invention, but a fixed feature in the natural order. Tampering with this order invites heartache and pain, and anything that compromises our family compromises our future. For these reasons, we ask you to vote no on ACA 5. Thank you, you, sir. Anybody else here in opposition to this measure? I'm just, again, I thought Greg did a phenomenal job. We, I don't know if we've posted it yet, Sophia, but if not, we'll probably be posting the actual text of his remarks on our website as a Mm -hmm. blog post. But I would really encourage you, share this one clip of Greg, the YouTube video of it, because I thought his comments were so good. Something that I loved, he was not angry, he was not mean, he was just calm and compassionate, but also courageous. I mean, 
Sophia, you've done a lot more testimony this year, obviously, since starting full time with us. Yes. And you know what it's like being up there in front of legislators who are frankly pretty hostile sometimes. And it just to, just as lay it out for you, in this hearing, right after Greg said that, he got attacked by yes. somebody, but also not physically, not attacked, physically, verbally not, yeah. attacked. Uh, yeah, but even the Republicans that were on that committee did not talk about marriage. They, none of them spoke up. The one Republican woman who is on that committee, she either didn't vote or she wasn't in the room. I don't know. But this is something that sadly we've seen. We've talked about it on other Facebook Lives or we've talked about it on other interviews. And something you'll hear me say all the time. If you haven't seen me before, obviously you haven't seen me here on this show. But something that I mention all the time that's so important for us to ask our elected officials is that it's really easy for them to say that they support our position and then not do anything about it. It's really easy for them to support our position verbally to us, but then maybe they'll vote the right way. But something that I always encourage you, if you're talking to your legislators and they're saying, oh yeah, I'm with you, I support you, I'm on your side on this say, we love that we have your vote, but we really need your voice. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that is sadly so lacking. None of the Republicans, again, spoke up against this measure, against ACA 5, in either part of the legislature. And I think a key difficulty on that is that if they're not even willing to speak up about this, None of their none of their constituents are going to know what they really believe, and no one else is going to actually have an opportunity to be educated. So speaking of that clip, do we, do you want to show that clip or do we want to? Yeah, we should be able to show them all that clip right here. Let's see. This is after Greg spoke, Greg was, this is some live production on the fly, everybody. (laughs) After Greg spoke, one of the state senators, Senator Minjavar, um, who is the author of one of the other bills that we're going to talk about in a little bit, just plastering it right over your yeah, face. Yeah, right so, over yeah, my face, but now you guys can all see it. So go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, State Senator Minjavar addressed Greg directly. And just to put it in perspective of who she is, she is a newly elected senator. I think she just was elected in 2022. Correct. And part of the reason why she won her primary was because she was more progressive. She was more liberal than the existing Democrat who was in that seat. And she herself, she's a Marine veteran. So God bless you. Thank you for your service. She's also identifies as LGBT, as a lesbian. And you can tell she was not at all happy with the way Greg was framing things here. So just listen to her comments here and then our little response.
All right, the audio is not working for that. We were trying to do it on the fly, but we have the video of Senator Menhavar up on our YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll oh, share it underneath here on yes, the Facebook. Yeah, right. and a lot of you guys have already been sharing it and retweeting it on our social media, but ultimately, like Jonathan said, she just stated, nowhere in the Bible, in the words of Jesus, in red, does it say marriage is between a man and a woman. So we just went in and clipped Mark 10, 5 through 9, where God literally says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, male and female. The two will become one. And it's one thing to say Jesus directly never said the word or that there should be homosexual relationships, that direct quote. But she directly said that Jesus never said marriage is between a man and a woman in red words. He directly said that. (laughs) Like, if she would have said, I don't, I don't accept the, you know, the, that you can impose your religion on me. If she would have said something like that, or I don't think that, you know, one person's interpretation of the Bible, if she would have said that, it would be one thing. But she literally explicitly said, where does it say? And unfortunately, that was a rhetorical question. She was not really asking Greg because Greg immediately after the hearing was like, here's where it says it. And he immediately (laughs) sent it over. But this is something that I just want to encourage you guys. If we had not been there, if California Family Council, if Greg specifically had not been in that room, we would not have had that opportunity to make that case Mm -hmm. for God's design for marriage. And one thing as my job as the CEO, as president of California Family Council, I'm, I'm kind of the annoying person that always has to be going around and asking for money and doing all those things. Okay, well, let me do it then. If yeah, you're, yeah. yeah, so Jonathan doesn't have to be annoying right now. I'll do it. California <laughs> Family Council, we are here at the Capitol to be your voice, to stand yes. up for Christian values and to do what is right. And you guys do an amazing job at making phone calls. We give you the way to make phone calls. We put all that together. You guys make calls during the committee hearings, and you guys are making your voices heard that way. But... We can't continue to stay here and be your voice without your support by prayer, by joining with us on phone calls, but also financially. And so just going onto our website, you can donate and help support us to, again, ultimately support you and your values so you can stay in the beautiful state of California. That's right. And it's something that we really want to be a, we want to be a presence. We want to be your voice here. The fact, I will just say, I've been with California Family Council for the last 10 years. And the huge blessing that it has been, the huge change that it's been, even in the last year and a half, we did not open our full-time office here at the Capitol. Even though Greg has worked with us for about the last six years, we haven't had a full-time office at the Capitol up until 2022. In February of 22, we opened one office, and about six months later, we moved to this bigger office because Sophia started working with us full-time. And it's been amazing having the full-time presence here, an outpost at the Capitol. And I'm just really thrilled with everything we've been able to do, the new ways that we've been able to grow and amplify, not our voice, but your voice. Mm -hmm. That's what we're here to do, is to provide a biblical voice on all these issues. And so if you find it in your hearts and in your budgets, especially during the summer, to support us financially, we would really appreciate that. You can, of course, click on any of the things here on Facebook. If you go to our website, californiafamily.org, that's the easiest thing. There's a big donate button at the top of the website, and we would love any of your financial support, whether it's a one-time gift, whether it's a monthly gift. I know just 
depending on how you guys want to do it. For me, when I'm donating to different groups, especially like my church, for example, I just have it set up every two weeks to come out every day that I get a paycheck. The same amount comes out of my account and goes as a tithe. So I'm not saying you have to tithe to CFC, <laughs> but if you want to give any amount, we really appreciate your support and prayers as we're continuing to advocate for your values. Yes, and on that, another bill that we have been fighting against to defend school boards to have the opportunity to ultimately make decisions about curriculum and books that are in schools, a huge issue we're seeing across California right now. Assemblymember Jackson has been targeting that. And so it's AB 1078, and that bill is actually going to be heading to the Senate floor next, I believe. So it's now the time to call your state senators and urge them to vote no on this bill. But in the hearing this past week for AB 1078, There was a mom, Allie Snyder, she's from Northern California, and she showed up and she testified and she read a little bit from a very disturbing book that is in her son's junior high school. Yep. And she read it. The author of the bill had to hear it. And he, well, let's just show them kind of how it went. F is based on... Number one, I have to read the book, so I just I based just on what can't. you heard today, which was read from the book in a junior middle school. Uh, I'm not. I can't comment on something that I haven't read myself. This book is gay. Currently, in my 13-year-old school son, son's school library, will remain a book that has nothing to do with being gay and everything to do with grooming children to make them accessible to adults. Don't believe me? I quote. How to use sex apps. One, upload a tiny picture of yourself to the app. Two, the app works out your location. Three, the app tells you where the nearest homosexuals are. Four, you then chat to them. Five, because they are near, you can meet with them, end quote. Once they are with the predator who found them online, they'll know exactly how to give a, quote, blowy by popping another dude's peen in your mouth or indeed popping yours in his. And they'll know, quote, the anus does not have the capacity to stretch the same way a vagina does. This means it's a tight hole. With the right water-based lube, however, it can be hugely enjoyable, end quote. They'll know these things and many more because this book in my son's school explains sex acts in explicit detail in language targeted towards kids. And I'm just going to... I'm going to ask you really quick, the thoughts of the book that was read and the content of the book that was read today that was in a junior, I believe a junior high school, junior school, would you find that appropriate to be in a junior library? I would say first, Senator, and thank you very much for your comments. I'm a social worker also, so I know the importance of the maturity and the growth of the brain and what things are appropriate depending on the development of the child. And so I would agree that we must always look out to making sure that all books are age appropriate. No doubt about that. The issue, if it's based, number one, I have to read the book. So I just based on what you heard today, which was read from the book, in a junior middle school. Uh, I'm not, I can't comment on something that I haven't read myself. So that is- You know, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, maybe if you're an elected representative and you have a bill that's going to be trying to regulate the types of books that are in schools, 
maybe you should read the books before you come to a hearing and talk about saying, yeah, parents shouldn't be able to object to this. We should be able to restrict the ways that parents can push back on this obscenity. I'm just, it really bugs me when I see legislators that are so lazy. Well, I haven't read it. Sorry. And then he says, I can't comment on this book because I haven't read it. So why is he commenting on all the other books saying they need to stay in the schools? You haven't right. read it. I know you parents out there are going through, you're reading these books, you're fighting against them because you want what's best for your children. And this legislator just is doing the opposite. And again, he could have even simply said, listen, I need to sit down, read the whole book, see out the whole context, but the part you read is not appropriate. Right. And he still couldn't bring himself to say that. So, again, we were there. We gave a me too. Basically, we went up there and said, California Family Council is urging you to vote no. We're in opposition to this bill. And, again, that's what we're up here to do as well as to inform you all. So start calling your state senators. If you visit CaliforniaFamily.org, we have our action center that I'm sure most of you are very familiar with. And we provide talking points, your state senators' phone numbers, but you can call them all. But that wasn't the only interesting thing that happened oh, no. in that committee hearing. We, the lady that you saw asking him, so do you think this is appropriate? That is Senator Choabo. And she did a great job through this whole hearing about asking the questions that needed to be asked and mentioning the things that need to be mentioned. I, I, I want to say mm -hmm. one thing on that. This, this is key. Just peeling back the curtain a little bit for anybody who's watching. If you pay close attention, and I know it's hard because there are literally hundreds, there's thousands of bills that are here in the state of California. No senator, no assembly member in our legislature right now, I think has a 100% rating on any of these issues. There's some people that are probably pretty close, but if we're doing scorecards and looking at, you know, how did you vote on this issue? And how did you vote on this issue? There are times where we see legislators who will vote the wrong way on something. And I mean, just being totally honest, Senator Ochoa Bo voted the wrong way on a couple of things earlier this year that we disagreed with. We were really disappointed that I think she voted to support, it was a resolution honoring Harvey Milk Day. Correct. We were really disappointed about that. We were really discouraged because here she's this Republican. She took over Senator Mike Morell's seat, mm -hmm. who was one of the most strong champions for life, family, and liberty that we'd worked with for years. And we were really discouraged to see Senator Ochoa Bo vote yes on that. But I think part of what we should do as an organization and as the church is we should call out people, no matter which side of the aisle they're on, when they do something wrong. But we also should thank them when they do something that was right. And I think her response coming full circle after having voted for this just a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. I, I was super encouraged to see how she was able to come back around and reposition herself yeah. on this issue. And she brought up, we'll play the clip right now, but I just wanted to mention that she brought up the topic of Harvey Milk because the person that Assemblymember Jackson had to come testify in support of the bill brought up Harvey Milk and was upset and again this whole hearing is on our youtube page you can see it but the person testifying in support basically said why do parents not want books about harvey milk and that's why senator chopo brought this up so we'll play the clip for you all i've also supported the milk resolution as it comes up annually since i've been here in the district 
But this year, you know, I've heard, I've heard this rumor, and I, and I understand the concern that some parents expressed with, uh, with Mr. Uh, Harvey, was the fact that, and I did not know this, I'm 51, by the way, and I learned this uh, just this year. I kept hearing about, you know, he was a pedophile, he was a pedophile, he was a pedophile. And I'm going, what exactly are they talking about? And lo and behold, it was surprising to me to know that in his biography, he mentioned a relationship with a minor. That, of course, then made me think about why we have so many concerns by a lot of parents in acknowledging or including him in books. It's not that he didn't do something great as a contributor of, a, of his community and advocated for his community, but that he had an act that would be inappropriate in any society. And so just as Jonathan mentioned, here at California Family Council, we are a nonpartisan organization, so we are going to support you if you're doing great things and call you out if you're doing bad things, and it can go both ways. And so, again, were we happy with the way she voted on this resolution? No, and we informed people how people voted on the resolution. But you, just to clarify, yes. from a few weeks ago, yes. today she or this week she voted the right way. Yes, on this bill. <laughs> correct. On AB 1078, she yeah. voted to protect school boards and parental rights. Yeah. But so on the Harvey Milk resolution, and so I also want to touch on that is. You notice in the video, she said, oh, I'm 51 years old. I've always been in favor of this resolution and all that. But now I'm hearing these things. And it was the parents calling. It was us calling this out. We put out an article right after the resolution and said, hey, this is who voted on a resolution that celebrates a pedophile. Because, again, he was 33 years old, I think, when he was dating a 16-year-old. And so we're spreading the word. We tell you guys make phone calls and look what a difference it makes. Yep. So things are changing as long as we make our voices heard. And I want to say on that, Sophia, again, just credit to Assembly Member, excuse me, Senator Bo, uh, mm -hmm. Ochoa Bo, Senator Ochoa Bo, because I think it takes a lot of courage to basically admit, hey, I was wrong. Now, she didn't flat out say, I was wrong, I made a mistake. But she basically points out, look, I have supported this in the past, so I'm not just reflexively thinking this. But the more that she's learned about this, I think she was recognizing, wow, I didn't know this. I'm finally just now at age 51 learning about this. And it's a reminder that sometimes I think you can feel like if you're calling your legislator or if you're sending letters of opposition in or you're lobbying, sometimes you might think, is it even going to matter? Are they going to change their opinion? Everything's so set in stone. This is a great example that she learned something new and it changed her opinion. So keep praying and keep advocating because you never know, no matter which side of the aisle it's on, how your actions are going to change people's hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. And now on to the last bill we have to talk to you all about today, SB 729. This bill flew through the Senate side. It's now in the Assembly. It's going to be heard on the Assembly Health Committee on July 11th, so next week. So start calling those Health Committee members. We have it all on our social media, their phone numbers and everything that you can find. But 729, this bill, and I'll let you dive into it, Jonathan, but the legislators are redefining words to push their political agendas and ideologies. So 729. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So 
there was a bill similar to this last year, and I, some of you might remember if you've been following this closely, you, I actually thought for a second, wait a second, didn't this already pass? No, it was a bill last year from Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks, one of our other friends in the legislature. I say that sarcastically. She had basically introduced this that was dealing with IVF and saying that insurance companies have to now cover IVF. This new bill, SB 729, it's co-authored by Buffy Wicks, mm -hmm. but the principal co-author is Senator Minjavar, who was the one attacking Greg in that clip that we tried to show earlier. Essentially what this says is it redefines infertility. And Sophia, I want to just real quick, because I'm going to pull this up. I should have had this up and running, but I want to just read this real fast because the way that it redefines infertility is just shocking. It's pushing their ideologies again. Right. And I think most people, if you are thinking of the word infertility, you have an idea of it means, oh yeah, you're not able to get pregnant. Maybe you've had a couple of miscarriages, something like that. I just want to say from a personal level, this is a personal thing for my wife and I. My wife, Julie, and I are parents of two wonderful little boys, Hudson and Wesley. But we had a hard time getting pregnant and having kids. We got married in 2007. Our son, Hudson, was not born until 2017. So we had almost 10 years where we were trying to get pregnant. We were talking to doctors. We knew because of our pro-life convictions, we did not want to go down the IVF route. We had real moral concerns and qualms about that. We knew, of course, we didn't want to do surrogacy, but we were looking for any other types of pro-life options that would help us have children. Ultimately, we found an amazing doctor that helped us with that, did not have to do IVF, but my wife was able to have surgery that helped fix a few things. And by God's grace, we have two kids. But I will just say, we know what infertility is. And the original definition of infertility is basically if you've not been able to get pregnant for a certain period of time, usually it's at least a year, then you are maybe eligible for some sort of fertility treatments. But the key issue here when you're talking about infertility is most people would recognize, yeah, if it's a husband and a wife who are trying to get pregnant, mm -hmm. then naturally, normally, people would be able to get pregnant if they've been trying for about a year. That's normally the case. The idea that a man and a woman are not able to have children means there is something wrong. There's some obstacle, there's some issue, there's something that maybe needs to be corrected or addressed. But if a woman and a woman are not able to have a child, or a man and a man are not able to have a child, duh. Yeah, that's not infertility. Or if a person on their own, or not a person, if a woman on her own can not have a child, that is also not infertility. Right. We know it takes a man and a woman. It's only <laughs> one time child. in human history has it happened with without a man and a woman. Yes. So, <laughs> so this is the passage in the hearing for or in the language for SB 729. It says here on section B. It says for purposes of this section, infertility means a disease condition or status. Now this is the key part: a disease con condition or status characterized by any of the findings. So I'm going to skip the first the first one here. It's just this one is a licensed physician's findings. Okay, so if a doctor tells you, yeah, I've examined you as a woman, you're not able to get pregnant without help. I could understand that. That one's fine. I don't have any issues. I don't think any pro-lifer would have mm -hmm. issues with section one. But section two, 
a person's inability to reproduce either as an individual or with their partner without medical intervention. So to clarify, let's take the second part of that. With their partner without medical intervention. Yes, as you said, if it's two women, no, it's not going to work. If it's two men, no, it's not going to work. But the shocking thing to me, Sophie, is it said a person's inability to reproduce as an individual without medical intervention. You can't do it. It's a scientific yeah. impossibility. Nobody can, re in the, again, in the history of humankind, with one exception, <laughs> nobody has been able to reproduce by themselves. And even in that case, obviously, there was divine intervention. Not medical intervention, yes. but divine intervention. Yeah, what happened to following the science? Yes. <laughs> and then the last part of this here, it basically says, again, not, I'll just read this here without getting too graphic. <laughs> Section number three is it defines infertility as the failure to establish a pregnancy or to carry a pregnancy to live birth after regular unprotected sexual intercourse. And it says, for purposes of this section, regular unprotected sexual intercourse means no more than 12 months of unprotected sexual intercourse for a person under 35 years of age. So again, I'm trying to be too graphic, but it's not a year. A same-sex couple could have regular unprotected sexual intercourse for 100 years, and it's never going to result in a child. Yep. So the fact that they are basically, again... Sophia, this kind of goes back to our talk about the redefinition of marriage. Mm -hmm. I think in some cases, our friends on the left, rather than trying to win an argument on normal grounds, they say, oh, we'll just go in and we will take this word and we will twist it and redefine it. And by redefining it, by changing the dictionary definition of marriage, by changing the dictionary definition of now infertility, they can basically co-opt all of the existing laws and in this case, what it's going to do is now require insurance companies to pay for IVF, to pay for artificial insemination, and in some cases even, it specifically says in the text of the bill, to pay for either gestational carriers or full-on surrogacy for same-sex couples. And we don't have time to get into all of it, but based on the language elsewhere in the bill, based on what we've heard from the analysts in the legislature, this is going to mean that they're projecting that this will result in tens of thousands of new attempted pregnancies every year where the child is going to be born either with no connection to their biological father or no connection to their biological mother. Or in some cases, when we're talking about surrogacy, you're talking about children that are not even not born to their biological father or mother, but in some cases, they're even taken away from their gestational carrier, their surrogate mother, the one who gestated them and carried them in the womb for nine months. And it's one thing for children to be taken away from their parents because of a tragedy. We know that there's always tragedies that happen where children need to be adopted. They need to be placed in the foster care system, they need to be adopted. If parents die, or if there's abuse or abandonment or something like that. But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about adoptive parents that are making the best of a tragic situation and lovingly stepping in. We're talking about adult humans, men and women, and in some cases, not even a couple. Again, it talks about as an individual. We're talking about potentially individual males or individual females that say, I want to have a child, but 
I do not want to get married to someone of the opposite sex and have a child through the natural way that people have been having it through all of human history. I just want a child. And it is now, under this bill, it is my right to have a child, whether they are biologically connected to me or not. I am going to create a new child that did not exist before I began this process. And you, the insurance company, which means collectively all of us, will have to pay for it. You cannot deny me my right to have a child. Yeah, it's actually just completely disturbing. First of all, we are now putting... For a child should have a mother and a father. And again, there are some circumstances where there's tragedies or different things and they only have a mom and they o- or they only have a dad. And we get that. But the fact that two men can basically go out and rent a womb, because let's be real, that's what this is. They're going out and renting a womb to have a female now create this child for them to then strip them of their ability to have a mother and a father is is beyond disturbing. And then to have insurance cover it and pay for it blows my mind. That's where we're at. The bill hasn't been signed into law. Call your assembly members before it hits the floor and urge them to vote no. But the other part is it's complete. First of all, like Jonathan said, there are two female legislators that are author and co-author of this bill. This bill is extremely disrespectful to females because now they're saying two men not being able to get pregnant is infertility. Someone on their own not being able to get pregnant is infertility. No, there's women out there that struggle with infertility and are never able to have children or it takes years to have children. And that's a hard thing for the woman to deal with. That's a hard thing for marriage. It's not an easy situation. And now they're just going to change what infertility means. Two men not being able to get pregnant is infertility. No, that's, it's not biologically true. It's completely insane. And again, our California legislators here are literally changing the definition of words, scientific words. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to, we've talked on this podcast. They think men can menstruate. Men can't menstruate. That's biologically true. They think men should be in women's locker rooms and bathrooms. None of this is true. It's disrespectful to women. And it's even disrespectful to the men that are married to these ladies and they're not able to get pregnant. It's so beyond. I can't believe we're at this point, but we're here and we're going to stay fighting here. And so this goes back to we are here. We're at the Capitol. We're going to continue fighting and pushing against these bills. We need your help. We need you to make your phone calls. Call your assembly member and urge them to vote no on SB 729 when it hits the floor. We need you to be in prayer about this and even financially we need your help, but it's getting crazy, but don't get up and run away. Yep. Keep fighting. Absolutely. And I'll just again reiterate, we've, one thing that I love about working with CFC is that we have so many great allies that we get to work with on all these different issues. If you have not been to our website recently, I encourage you to go. We've got so many articles Mm -hmm. on all these bills. Sophia has been doing a great job also of putting a lot of the videos that we've done up here quickly. So I would ask you, please, whether it's on Instagram, whether it is on Twitter, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website, please share this information because part of the reason why you do see pushback against bills like the one from Assemblymember Jackson, part of the reason why you do see pushback against some of these other crazy bills is because you're helping share the information, you're helping it go viral, and we can't do that on our own. So I want to thank you for helping share everything that we're doing. 
and I appreciate you reading all the articles that we have as well and educating yourself and educating others. And thank you all for tuning in to our podcast. And I guess to just some of what we've talked about today, don't forget that only women can get pregnant. Don't forget that men can't menstruate. And don't forget that marriage is between a man and a woman. Do you have anything else to add to that, Jonathan? That's so basic common sense. I feel like that's a good place to leave it. All right. We are, I will see you all next week. Greg will be back. I hope you all enjoyed having Jonathan on this week, and I'm sure he'll be on a lot in the future. Yeah. All right. We'll see you all next week.